Welcome to the Tallyman Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be discussing last weekend's state by-elections in New South Wales. My guest today is William Bowe from the Poll Bludger. Hello, William. Hello, Ben. So, William, there was a variety of results on Saturday night. Uh, Labor gained a big swing in Bega, a smaller swing in Monero, and Strathfield appears to have had roughly no swing, maybe a small swing to Labor, while the Liberal Party looks set to narrowly survive an independent challenge in Willoughby. But all of that is a bit up in the air because there's still a large volume of postal votes yet to be counted. Uh, we were just looking at the numbers just before and saying, well, we think we know who's going to win, but we're not really sure. The New South Wales Electoral Commission sent a postal vote to every enrolled voter without needing to make a request, which is a first in Australia. And that has led to a big surge in postal votes and a decline in election day turnout to about one fifth of the total enrolment. William, Labor gained a large swing in Bega, but how remarkable is that in a by-election? Well, it was a good result for Labor in Bega. By-election swings are, well, swings in general. The, the electorate's more volatile than it was in previous decades. This would have been a pretty extraordinary result a few decades ago. But, you know, I think the bar is higher in current by-elections. And uh, I've heard the point made quite a bit, particularly in New South Wales state by-elections. I largely think, though, that that's because you had a, you know, big disturbance in 2011 and what the, the sort of swings we've been seeing since then at both general elections and state by-elections has been a, a reversion to the mean after that. So I still think that a swing of the size that we're seeing in, in Bega is an impressive result. But uh, as you say, we the other, the, the other really striking fact about these by-elections is the diversity of the result, which discourages the notion that there's big lessons to be learned here. You know, if this was a, you know, really devastating rejection of the state or particularly the federal government, then we would have seen a clearer signal coming through across the four results. So uh, I, I think the local factors clearly played a, a huge role across the board here. And, uh, you know, that makes sort of tea leaf reading uh, of limited value in the broader sense. One of the things that did make Bega a little bit more interesting was that I'm not sure it quite counted technically as a marginal seat, but it is, it's more marginal than a lot of by-elections you see. Yes, sometimes there are huge swings, but often they're in safer seats. It doesn't end up affecting the result. Um they're not fought as competitively. This did feel a little bit more like a mini election, you know, like all the results had to kind of go through seat by seat. It was not just one story. There were lots of narratives going on. Um, and so in that sense, the fact that there was so much attention on Bega and there still was quite a substantial swing is a little bit more interesting. But, yeah, like we're not seeing the kinds of results we saw in Penrith in 2010, you know, those huge rejections of government. I think we may be in a situation now, we'll come back later to implications for the state politics, but we might be in that situation now where the coalition government um, may be competitive in the next election, but if they win, if that may be their last term. You know, I could see in five years from now, that might be the situation where a coalition government that's still going then could be facing a real beating. So they're, they're starting to lose their shine a little bit. Labor seems to be pulling it together a little bit. But um, I think you can really exaggerate those trends, particularly when you look at Strathfield. Maybe there is an urban-rural story that certainly appeared to be the case in some recent elections in New South Wales that Labor hasn't done so well in, in Sydney as they did in the country. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. Can we talk about the way the votes came in on election night and, um, and how that worked? Because... 
you know, in Bega, only 18% of people enrolled to vote voted on the day ordinary local election votes. Um, how did you find that changed your experience of election night? Yeah, well, you know, I sort of kept on stressing while I was doing my commentary that, you know, there could be an enormously different dynamic on between election day votes, which we're getting early on in the evening, and pre-poll votes, which we're getting later in the evening. So far as the election day experience is concerned, I think we're getting used to this now, that you have a big lull after about 7.30, while all of the uh, election day results come in, but pre-poll voting centres are enormous, and if, in, if they are even finished counting at all by the end of election night, which was not the case in a number of the pre-poll votes in, on this occasion, then they're coming in much later. Having said that, though, there didn't prove to be a hugely different dynamic between pre-polls and election day votes on this occasion. And uh, for the most part, there hasn't been. I can think of a few exceptions. The Victorian state election, uh, there were, a f- I-, I think there was a tendency... I don't think the result was as catastrophic for the Liberal Party as it looked early on the night. Those uh, late reporting pre-poll booths, which actually came in after the networks had wrapped up for the night, sort of brought home a lot of, you know, those really safe blue ribbon inner metropolitan classically liberal seats. Uh, this wasn't what happened on this occasion, as far as I could tell. You know, you, you saw very similar results between pre-polls and election day votes. The other point, however, which I'm sure we're about to discuss in much greater depth, and the really unusual thing about this election is that we haven't seen a single postal vote yet, and there's going to be an enormous number. Of Let's start on that, because one of the things that you worry about when there's these big changes is generally the theory of booth matching is that people who vote at, say, the bigger pre-poll last time and the people who voted the bigger pre-poll this time are similar. They're not exactly the same, but they're mostly the same people. Thus, if there's a, a swing there, you can compare those swings across the seat and get a sense of it. But if people are changing the way they vote, you don't know where those voters have gone. And so what was different about postals was it wasn't just that the number had increased, although that is relevant. As it gets bigger, you would expect it to look a little bit more like the rest of the seat. Um, although you don't know what the whole seat looks like until they've been counted, so that's a factor. But it's also that the experience of postal voting was very different because normally you've got to have your shit together enough to ask for a postal vote in time to receive one. This time you didn't. Everyone got one. You could you could kind of impulsively vote postally, which is not normally the case. Um, and so I think that could well change the dynamic, but we won't see any postal votes counted until Saturday is my understanding. And we'll just have to see how things go there. We were just discussing before what's come in. We've had a few pre-poll booths. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. We've had a few pre-poll booths come in today, including the last ones in Monero and Strathfield. And it's narrowed the number of votes still to be counted, but we're still talking 23 to 28,000 votes in each seat left to be counted. If you make some basic assumptions about turnout and, um, that's like 10 times the size of the lead at the moment. So it's unlikely these seats will be overturned, but I don't think we can rule it out. A point that I sort of might mischievously raise is the presidential election night, where um, Donald Trump sort of almost engineered this, where the uh, male votes, as they'd say in the US, uh, there was a giant number of them for the same reason, the, the epidemic, 
And uh, early on the night, if you looked at the raw numbers, it looked like Trump was carrying all of these swing states. Now, you know, if you were reading the numbers properly, then you were aware that there was a huge sum of uh, election day votes to come in. So, you know, we're talking about a different order of events. But, you know, Donald Trump used that to, you know, leverage the point that, you know, he felt that he won the election because, uh, you know, in some states they were counting mail votes first, in some states it was the other way around. The, the dynamic there was so dramatically different that in every state that mattered, the, the result got overturned once they counted one type of vote rather than the other. So if something like that happened here, then everything we've said so far is going to be completely wrong. Now, I must stress that there is a lot less reason in, the, in this circumstance to think that we're going to see radically different results on posters from what we saw on election night and pre-polls. There you know, isn't that clear uh, sense, that you, thing that you had in the US where the, the, the Republicans were being told not to vote by mail by their political leaders. So, you know, it, 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 it's unlikely that we're going to see a hugely different swing on, on postals. But uh, if what we see is a reversal of what we've got at the moment in Bega and Strathfield, uh, where Labor are leading kind of 55, 45, 56, 46, if postals flip that around, then the Liberals are going to win. Uh, but, you know, no one seems to expect that. Uh, intuitively, for what that's worth, ordinarily postals are conservative. But as you say, we're going to get a, a different pool of people voting postally this time. That intuitively means, I think, that postals are going to be less conservative than usual this time. So, you know, that, 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 that scenario that I raise, that postals are going to shock everyone by being 10% better for the, the, the Liberals than, than the other votes, uh, that seems particularly unlikely. But, you know, we we haven't, we just don't know. It's going to be a full week. It might be worth sort of discussing that further down the train why it is going to be a full week. Um, but um, the, the Liberal candidate in Bega is not conceding. I've seen her cop flat for this, but I don't entirely blame her. No, I agree. I, I think it's, in the end, it's a formality to concede she's not she's not stealing the election she's not doing any of that stuff if if she wants to wait a few days then good luck to her like that seems that seems perfectly reasonable to me 60 percent of the votes are still out there you know i if, if, if this were a normal election you know you wouldn't gasp in horror on election night if someone a candidate was being interviewed and they weren't willing to give it away at this point so let's use some numbers here some raw numbers so in Bega, we have 21,000 votes counted. That's formal, informal, just total votes that have come in. I think probably we have about 29,000 votes yet to come in. So there's going to be 50,000 votes cast in Bega. We have 21 at the moment. That's a huge share of the vote not counted. And like that would be perfectly fine if we think what's come in so far is it all broadly representative or if we have a sense of how unrepresentative it is. The issue is we don't know how unrepresentative it is. And if it's very unrepresentative, then that's interesting. Now, bigger, it's particularly extreme because there's still about 7,000, I estimate, pre-poll votes from Marimbula and Maruria that haven't come in yet. The other seats all have their total pre-poll in. And by the time you listen to this tomorrow, uh, those pre-poll votes probably have come in. Uh, but Strathfield, Strathfield has all its pre-polls. And yet, 
only has just over, they have less votes counted so far total than Bega, 20,440. And I think they have about 26,000 votes left to be counted. So that's a huge share of the vote. And again, probably probably Labor's got those seats. Uh, I think that is still the most likely outcome. I was being asked by some journalists on the night and I was just saying, look, just put some caveats in. Like it's still the most likely outcome, but just be a little bit cautious. Um yeah, do you have any other thoughts on that? And then I want to ask you generally about the trends with vote type before we go away from talking about that. Yeah, I, I sort of mentioned that it's sort of worth discussing why it is that, that we're not going to be seeing these votes for a week, which is that because they were doing this completely unprecedented thing of sending everyone not merely a postal vote application but postal vote ballot papers, they were concerned that uh, probably for confusion more than anything else, that a lot of you might get a particularly large number of people uh, doing multiple voting for the reason that most multiple, multiple voting actually happens, which is that people do a postal vote, forget that they've done it, and then turn out to vote on election day as well. They were concerned that this was going to happen in substantial numbers, so they are going to scan all of the uh, marked-off... Uh, Electoral rolls. Electoral rolls, yes, and uh, make sure before they admit any post to vote into the count that this person hasn't voted already. So uh, all of that scanning is a, is a huge operation, and that's the reason uh, it's going to take a week. And, you know, I've seen the Electoral Commission cop flat for this, but, uh, you know, because this has never happened before, uh, I, I think they're entitled to a bit of caution. So do they not normally do that? What do they normally do to avoid that problem? Or is it just if if double voting happens, they've that's that's an issue that they follow up to investigate? Uh, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think maybe the, the fact of every polling booth's electoral roll being scanned. Um, I, I'm not sure. Perhaps it's just the, the sort of scale on which it's happening on this occasion. But that certainly was the Electoral Commission's explanation for why they're not, we're not going to see any postal votes at all for a week. Whereas sometimes, I'm not sure in New South Wales, but in some jurisdictions, they do actually count a certain number of such postal votes as are available on the night itself. Once you've added it to the pile, you can identify that someone has double counted, but you can't pull the vote back, right? Whereas in this scenario, you can actually stop at least the postal vote from being counted. The the election day vote or the pre-poll vote's already 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 gone you can't bring that back but you can um you can hold back because i mean to go into a little bit more detail about how postal voting works is you you fill in your ballot paper you put inside an envelope and sometimes there's a double envelope um so you have an unmarked envelope inside a marked envelope but then whatever on the outside there is information about you so they're able to confirm you're eligible to vote mark you off as having voted and then empty the ballot paper into a pile in some way that happens to ensure that the secrecy of how you voted while still knowing that you have voted. Um, and so in that sense, as long as you don't count the vote before you do this check, then you can um, prevent double votes from being counted. Anyone from the Electoral Commission who knows, write in if you know um, how this normally would work. It's an ordinary federal election. Um one other thing I wanted to add as well is what this means for election analysis. So you and I, we do um, estimates of redistributions, which involves estimating how many voters have moved between areas. Uh, we also do, well, you do more of it than I do, but you do booth matching on election night where you compare the votes that are coming in so far for the votes from last time. 
all of that, let's just put aside the thing about the postal votes changing because that could resolve itself if if you get exactly the same result next time and the rules stay the same. But if you have a lot more people voting postally, voting pre-poll, you lose a lot of granularity. You lose a lot of geographic specificity about where people vote. And that does make that harder to know, do you parcel out a pre-poll centre in equal shares? Do you um, parcel it out in skewed according to how the election day vote went? There's complications and it's going to get more complicated if this trend continues. Um, How do you find it? Yeah, this is a developing problem over the last sort of 10 years or so as we've seen this dramatic increase in the number of pre-poll votes. Uh, no one loses an eye at a by-election over this sort of stuff because no one's going to be using by-election results to calculate redistributions or to do booth matching on the night of the next general election. But if we had a general election that was conducted in the same circumstances as this by-election, then it would, as you say, create all sorts of headaches for exactly the reasons that you identify. In terms of, uh, you know, sort of working out what the margins are after a redistribution. Um, The Australian Electoral Commission happily publishes data telling you exactly how many people in what's called an SA1, a a census collection district area, voted in which polling booth or which pre-poll voting booth. That allows you to uh, better get a sense of where people were voting from a specific, say, pre-poll voting centre. The the, the issue, as you say, that you've got that issue of granularity with the pre-poll voting centres. There's uh, only, say, at these by-elections, state by-elections, there were about three pre-poll voting centres for each electorate. So uh, people are coming from a long way away within the electorate to vote at the pre-poll voting centre. Whereas before, you know, in the good old days, people were overwhelmingly voting on election day and they were overwhelmingly voting in the nearest polling booth to them. So now we've got people voting further away from where they live and it gets harder or it gets less uh, precise. It gives you a a less accurate uh, result to sort of say, well, you know, people who live in this geographic area assume they all voted there it's not going to be a perfect assumption but in the past it would have been a pretty good one it's less good now they're moving to a, a further distance away so uh, it, it it would uh, ameliorate the position a bit if state electoral commissions followed the lead of the federal commission and did what I, what i've said which is uh, as i say published data saying this particular small area here is where everyone in that area voted and then you could parcel out the votes in a in a sitting, in a more accurate fashion. That's for calculating redistributions. It does help, and it, it's very good at being able to identify exactly what the area is for a booth and for pre-poll. It's helpful because it means you can say you do have a bit of a geographic spread, particularly in regional areas. You know, the big towns in Bega and Monero each had their own pre-poll centre. It's more of a problem in Strathfield and Willoughby. I was very confident about the swings I was seeing on election night in Bega and Monero because, you know, we're talking about large, we're talking country areas, large distances between the pre-polls. It's a very different story in Strathfield and Willoughby where we had new pre-poll booths. So in order to uh, do booth matching on the night for the pre-poll booths, I had to be highly speculative 
we've got a new pre-poll booth. It wasn't there last time. I have to hive off some of the pre-poll results from the booths that were there last time. And, uh, you know, in reality, that's not going to do a very good job of capturing the fact that you're probably going to get quite a lot of people saying, oh, there's a pre-poll booth right next to me now. It wasn't there before. I'm going to vote pre-poll now, where otherwise I'd have voted on election day. So I was not at all confident about the swings that I was getting in Strathfield and Willoughby from pre-poll booths on Saturday night. But it was a very different story in Bungendore or Cooma or, you know, somewhere where, you know, people aren't going to, you know, the, the, they were the same booth locations as last time. And, uh, you know, there you, you, you did get, you know, credible and plausible results. But, you know, that, that's the sort of problem we're encountering. Okay, so we probably need to move on from vote type because we could talk about it all day. But one other thing I did want to mention, which you kind of mentioned before as well, is this is a pre-COVID trend exaggerated. Like a lot of trends about how society has changed over the last two years, this trend has been going on for a while, particularly more pre-poll than postals. Uh, that pre-poll has been getting more and more popular. Election day is becoming less and less popular. I think probably it won't stay exaggerated as much as this is once we kind of either COVID cases go down or we just get a bit more comfortable with it and a bit more accepting of it. Um, but ultimately, you're going to still have this. People get used to it. People like it. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Maybe there are things they can do to have more smaller pre-poll booths, both that helps with the counting and it also helps with future analysis. Maybe there are ways to report postal votes below the seat level. You know, maybe there are ways to split up and lecture it into sub areas in some way and report the postal votes by that by that metric or something. You don't want to make it too granular because then you might lose privacy, but maybe there are some things you can do in that area. Yeah, well, you know, we used to have subdivisions, of course, and there are a lot of conspiracy theorists who'll tell you that the abolition of subdivisions is, you know, part of a plot to steal our elections and we haven't had a, 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 a non-rigged election since 1977 or whatever it was. So, uh, you know, that, 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 <laughs> I hadn't really considered that, but as you, that, now that you mention it, I'd be very pleased if they did indeed start doing some sort of sub-regional breakdown for postal vote results. To sort of run with something else you were saying, um, you know, the, the, before COVID, long before COVID, for about 10 to 15 years before COVID, we were seeing this, you know, really major shift towards election day voting. Pre-poll voting, this has not been specific to Australia. This is something that's happening internationally. It's, uh, it's probably, you know, you can relate it to the changing nature of work patterns. You know, people aren't working, uh, society isn't monolithically working nine to five, five days a week. Uh, you know, we're in a convenience culture, I suppose. And uh, so far as COVID is concerned, you know, I, I don't think that, that this eruption in postal voting that we've seen is going to stick. I think once the pandemic is passed, postal voting is going to go back to how it was before. But are we going to see another landslip away from election day voting to pre-poll voting that becomes permanent? This hasn't been specific to elections. There's been a lot of talk that the experience of COVID, people are going to develop new habits and they're going to hold on to them after things return to so-called normal, particularly in relation to the way people work. You know, it's now established that, you know, a, a lot of businesses, a lot of occupations can be conducted fairly well uh, from remotely 
in which case why shackle people to the workplace why you know give them why not give them better quality of life and a better family and home life by allowing them to work from home so society's not going to snap back after covid towards pre-covid patterns in a lot of ways perhaps one of those ways is that you know a lot of the people who are voting pre-poll for the first time are going to say well this works well for me i'm going to keep doing this mm-hmm. yeah for sure now, okay, so we've talked about that for a while. Um, can I briefly touch on what this means for New South Wales politics right now? The Assuming that the current leaders hold their seats, that's a net loss of one seat for the government. They'll hold 45, plus there's two ex-liberals who pretty much still vote with the government. That's 47 seats that they can kind of rely on. They need 47 for a majority. So they have the slimmest of all working majorities now. I had some people object to me describing it that way, uh, even though I kind of had said it's a stable situation, even if they're not in a majority in their own right. Um, But it does mean they're in a pretty weak position. I think it probably does mean that you could see situations where their grip on the lower house is not that solid. Um, But generally that seems to be, you know, the government will survive. Then, though, we have an election in 13 months now and... Um, Labor now is one seat closer to forming government and the coalition basically needs to win seats back to retain the majority, uh, particularly considering that they actually lost a seat in the redistribution as well. I'm not maybe familiar enough with the the ground level of New South Wales politics to speak authoritatively, but uh, I don't imagine that... They, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, would they be concerned that John Sedoti or Gareth uh, Ward are going to hang on as independents at the election? Is that is that in prospect? I don't know. No. So, you know, so far as the next election is concerned... I think those seats are still, you know, in Parliament, they're not Liberal seats. But so far as the next election is concerned, you know, they're still penciled in as Liberal seats and they'll, they'll revert to type, presumably. Well, they are, but they are seats that... Um... One of them's winnable for Labor. Well, yeah, I mean, Dremoyne has swung pretty hard to the Liberals since the last government, but it was a Labor-held seat in the last government. Maybe the fact that the local MPs now you know, an independent who'll probably have to retire the election. Those are seats that are on the table. Um, But yeah, no, they would be seats. So if they win both of them back, but they lose the seat to the redistribution, that puts them one short of a majority. It does mean with this crossbench, you have a very diverse crossbench. You know, you've got three greens, you've got three shooters. The greens and the shooters don't really really get along, but they both kind of can get along with Labor. then you've got three Indies. You've got a relatively conservative Indian Wagga and two kind of left-leaning Indies, one in Lake Macquarie and one in Sydney, um, who get along pretty well with the Greens, but they're not Greens. They're different. Um, so there's a mixture there, but it's probably a situation that if one major party is falling one or two or three seats short of a majority, they're going to form government because the other side, you're not going to be able to stitch together a government with seven crossbenchers or eight crossbenchers with the Greens and the Shooters and all that kind of stuff. You know, like if Labor only wins a seat or two, they're not forming a Labor Green Shooters government. You know, that's not happening, I don't think. Yeah, at a bare minimum, it's going to be difficult for the government to get returned in a, in a majority. It will have to match or more than match its performance from 2019. 
which, you know, seems a tall order. I would doubt that Dominic Perrottet is going to be as electorally appealing as Gladys Berejiklian was. And uh, I think, you know, while I hesitate to draw big conclusions from this result, uh, Labor have overcome the pariah status that they had for a while there in New South Wales. You know, uh, the, the bigger result, I think, you know, is a, a really big shot in their arm because this is a seat they wouldn't ordinarily win except for the sort of very high watermark election. It sort of does show that, you know, the, the, the diseased state that the party was in electorally, you know, circa 2010, obviously, at the 2011 election, uh, we're back to normality now. Historically, normality in New South Wales has been that Labor wins. You know, at a, at a, at a median election going back to Lord knows how long. Let's say 1941. At least, you know, 1941 since after, I suppose, the lung disturbance had passed. Um, that's, you know, other things being equal, Labor wins elections in New South Wales. So the, the, the Liberal Party are constantly swimming in against the tide. And uh, having said that, you know, that may be a, a dated perspective because it used to be that, you know, the, the, the New South Wales was stronger for Labor and Victoria was stronger for the Coalition. I think probably we've seen a, a reversal of that. I think the, the media environment seems to be very tough for Labor in Sydney in a way that it isn't in Melbourne. So maybe we've seen a sort of structural shift from... Uh, from New South Wales being a Labor-leaning state. But, you know, at a bare minimum, you know, Labor are back. Whether or not they, that they're in a position to win the next election, I don't know. But uh, it, they've got everything to play for. You know, I think the next election is going to be very hard fought. I think it's going to be very close. And uh, it, it will be a, a very strong result for either party if they can manage a majority with, as you say, such a large and diverse crossbench. And we don't really have any state polls since Chris Minns and Dominic Perrottet took over as leaders of their party, right? Um, we don't really have anything. No, state polling is not what it used to be. Um, News poll used to publish quarterly or for the largest states, I think, by monthly state polls. You get nothing out of news poll from state level anymore, except on special occasions during election time. Uh, results strategic, at least, do state results from New South Wales and Victoria. I guess there will be one of those along very shortly, perhaps even next week. I think this week we're going to probably get a federal poll from results strategic, which will probably be out by the time this is broadcast. And uh, the week after that, they run a state number from either New South Wales or Victoria. And this week is the turn for New South Wales. So uh, that will be worth worth waiting on. You know, it will be a, a bi-monthly result, so it won't be fully timely. Half of the, the poll will have been conducted a month ago. But it will, as you say, be a measure of how they're travelling under Dominic Perrottet. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, William, for joining me. Thank you very much. You can follow William's election analysis at pollbludger.net. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow the Tally Room on Twitter at the Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to the tallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. 
Once again, thanks for listening.